You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We are doing a series this whole month called A Heart for His House. For those who have been here, those who haven't been there, we'll do a quick run through. You can go and listen on our website, the podcast. Um, I believe the first two weeks are up. If not, they'll be up this week. And we started talking about King David and how he wanted to build a house for God. In the first week, we made uh, the, the connection between having a heart for God and having a heart for his house. If you have a heart for God, then you also have a heart for his house. We see that David saw in his palace that God's house was a tabernacle with curtains, and he said, it's not fair that he stays in there while I'm in a palace, so I want to build him a house. And he says, uh, God tells him, you can't do that because your hands are too bloody, but your son can. I'll allow him to do that. So we started talking about having a heart for the house. Last week, we talked about having uh, the benefits of being in the house. If I've got a heart for the house and I come to the house of God, what are some benefits that I can receive? We see that God talks to King Solomon when he's uh, presenting the temple, and God tells King Solomon that my eyes and my heart will always be on the house of God. It will always be on the temple because of what you've done. So we said that a benefit is if I come to the house of God and his eyes and his heart are on the house of God, then his eyes and his heart are on me. If I feel far away from God, if I feel like he doesn't see me, if he doesn't know me, if, if for whatever reason I feel like he's far away, then I need to be in the house of God and then he'll see me and his heart will be on me. We know that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, but if his eyes and his heart are here, then I want to be here. We also talked about another benefit that Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we also see a benefit that if Jesus is building the church and I'm inside the church, then that means he's building me. That means he's working on me. And also, if the devil is attacking you, if you feel like the enemy is coming against your family, coming against your household, then I need to be in the church. I need to be in the house. Because if God is working on the church, he's building the church, that means he's working and building me. And if God is defending the church and he's saying the gates of hell are not going to prevail against that, then that means the gates of hell are not going to prevail against me. And then we talked about in Ephesians where Jesus says, I'm the head of the church. I'm the body, and and his mission is to save the body. He also says in that same passage of Ephesians that he is called uh, to to wash us in the word. So if you feel dirty, if you've been sinning, if you've been struggling, if you've been dealing with something, you don't need to be like Adam and Eve and go hide and run away from God. You need to be in the house because when you're in the house, it says that he's going to wash the people. He's going to wash the church. So the benefit of being in the house is that his eyes and his heart are on you today. He's building you. He's working on you today. He's pushing the devil away from you. And he's washing you today in his word. He's cleansing you. He's he's getting you ready for the week. So there's a quick run through of the first two weeks. And the passage that we've been standing on, the passage that we've been taking this whole sermon series on is 1 Chronicles 22 verse 5. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5 is the story of King David and talking about wanting to build the temple, and he's talking about Solomon. And he says, now, David, this is King David, said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. 
David says, I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. If we want to see the house of God grow, if we want to see the church grow, if we want to see the American church grow, then we as this generation right now must do what King David did and make preparation. It's not going to get better unless we do something about it and make abundant preparation. The next generation is not going to want to come to church if they don't see us, this generation, making preparation to make the church exceedingly magnificent, glorious in all countries, and famous. And today we're going to talk about how to make the church exceedingly magnificent. The first part of this, exceedingly magnificent. In the Hebrew text, that word exceedingly means upward, it means above, it means overhead, forward, higher part, exceedingly, upward, above, overhead. And then that word magnificent means great. It means to grow. It means to promote. And it means to become great. So how can we play our part in making the house of God exceedingly magnificent? How can we make the church, like these definitions say, go upward How can we make the church go above and beyond? How can we make the church great? How can we make the church become great? How can we make the church move forward? I don't want to have the same experiences in the church that I had two, three years ago. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it also says in the scriptures that he's doing a new thing. So I want to see God move. I want to see the revival come. I want to see the Lord move. I want to see the miracle signs and wonder move. I want to go. Yes, the church has been great, but I want to make it even greater. And it starts with recognizing that the Lord is in this place. The story that we're going to look at is in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, we're going to read verses 10 through 16 and park it. Then we'll do 17 and 18 through 22. Genesis 28 verse 10 says, Now Jacob, this is in the family of Abraham and Isaac, his son Jacob, went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Verse 12 says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached all the way to heaven. And there were angels of God that were ascending and descending on top of it. And behold, at the top of the stairs, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your grandfather, and your father, which is Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I didn't know it. How do we make the church exceedingly magnificent? The first truth that we can pull out of this passage is that the Lord is in this place. How many times have we gone to church for various reasons and forgot the main reason that we were here except to encounter God? How many times have we come to church 
because a boy or a girl was here, wanted to talk with her, wanted to see her, wanted to talk with him, see him, that we wanted to come to church for various reasons, to get away from the house, to get away from this, to get away from that. I can drop my kids off with Miss Brenda for an hour or so, get some peace and quiet, that we come to church for all these different reasons, and we miss the main reason why we need to be here, that the Lord is in this place. I never want to come to church and walk out of these doors and have the same conversation that Jacob just did. Surely the Lord was in that place, and I did not know it. I did not recognize it. I did not see him, experience him, or encounter him. If this church is going to be exceedingly magnificent, then we need to be coming into the building expecting that the Lord's going to be in this place. When I lived in Dallas, um, a friend of mine who was in our young adults group um, was a fan of hockey, and uh, they have the Dallas Stars there, and he said, hey, let's go to a hockey game. So well, I've never been to a professional hockey game, so we went, we went to the Dallas Stars versus uh, the Detroit Red Wings. So he bought us both tickets, and we go to the, the game, and we had to go up uh, an elevator to get to our seats. So me and him, we, we get in there, and the game's about to start, and there's a, an attendant in the elevator that wants to see your tickets to make sure you get off at the right uh, kiosk or whatever to get into your seats. So we show her a ticket. She presses the button. It goes up a floor. It stops. The door's open. A man in a suit walks in, and he stands there. The lady greets him. And uh, she presses the buttons, and we start going up again. And the guy looks at us, and he says, hey, how are y'all doing? We said, we're good. And he said, well, you know, how are, what's going on? How are y'all doing? We said, we're good. And my friend kind of made a joke. I don't know. I guess it was just an awkward situation. But he told the man, he goes, man, it sure is cold here. And the guy kind of looked at him with a weird face, and he goes, well, you're at a hockey game. Of course it's cold. And by this time, the door's open. And he kind of just looks at us, looks at the lady, and walks out, and the door shut. So then the elevator attendant looks at us, and she goes, do you know who that is? And he goes, I don't know who that is. And she goes, that's the president and the owner of the Dallas Stars. We were in the elevator with the owner of the Dallas Stars. We were at his experience. We were at his his show, we were at his sporting event, and we didn't know who he was. We missed an opportunity to talk with this man about who knows what. We could have said, hey, this is our first game. Can we come hang out in your suite? Can I come on the team? I can play hockey. I don't know how to skate, but could you pay me a contract? Could we talk? I could have asked him anything. He was the owner of the Dallas Stars, and I didn't know who he was, and therefore I missed an opportunity to have an encounter with him, and I made a joke about it. How many times do we come to church and flippantly make jokes when the owner of the church, the CEO of the church, is in this place? The Lord is in this place. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says, again, I say to you that if, you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them. If you're married, this is a great cheat code. Because you and your wife are one, y'all should be together, and y'all more than likely are praying for the same thing. And it says here, if two of you agree, 
in anything that you ask. I don't have to go and find somebody. Hey, can you come pray with me? I want to be healed. I, need, I want you to come with me. If we ask together, God says he'll do something. I've got my spouse with me, and it's a great cheat code. Y'all can pray together, and it says the Lord will answer. All right, let's keep going. Verse 20, that my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. He says, I'm there. It's not like I've got to make an appointment, got to check my book, I've got to make sure uh, I can be in this church and that church. Y'all don't pray too much. Y'all start at 10, y'all start at 11. Over there, you start at 12, and then I'll, I'll jump around. He says, if two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's already inside of us, so everywhere I go, he's already inside of me. He's speaking to me. He's guiding me. But there's something happens. There's something exceedingly great happens when there's people that come together and the Holy Spirit inside of you and me and you and me come together. He says, I'm there in the midst. The Lord is in this place. Because you decided to come to church today, because I decided to come to church today, God decided to come to church today. And because he's here Something exceedingly magnificent can happen at any moment. The Lord is in this place. You need to recognize that God's in this place because you can miss him. Yeah, all right. You can recognize, God, is that you? <laughs> Welcome. You can recognize, you need to recognize before you even come here that God is in this place because you can miss him. Think about this. You can read it in the Gospels. Jesus, we believe that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was 100% flesh. He was 100% spirit. And he was here on this earth. And there were people that were around him that did not get healed, that did not get touched, that did not get saved. There were people that heard that there was a man named Jesus in their town and they stayed home because they had stuff to do. There were people that were in the crowd that saw Jesus with their eyes and didn't get healed. Three different types of people were in that crowd. There were people that got completely healed, restored, had an encounter with God that changed them forever. There were people in that crowd who saw Jesus and left and didn't change one bit. And then there were religious leaders there that left mad all the time. Every Sunday, you have an encounter and an opportunity to be one of those three people. When you walk into this place and recognize that the Lord is in this place, you can have an encounter with God. He can speak to you, and one word can change your life. Lazarus, come forth, and he rose up from the dead three, four days later. Those simple words from Jesus forever altered his life and his family's life. Or you could sit in these chairs and recognize that he's not here, walk out of here no different than when you walked in. Or you could decide to be offended, walk in and say, well, they didn't play the song that I liked. Alberto didn't make the burrito that I liked. They didn't have the right soap. They didn't make the right coffee. They didn't find, you can find a reason to get mad when you're in a group of people and you can walk out worse than when you walked in. I would rather you and me choose, I'm going to come in here expecting to see the Lord in this place and leave different and encouraged instead of leaving the same or leaving worse for wear. The Lord is in this place. Let's keep reading. In verse 17 of Genesis. What is his response? Surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I didn't know it. And he, Jacob, was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So my question is, why is Jacob afraid? If you go back and read what God just told him, it's not very fearful. I'm going to bless you the same way I blessed your father and your grandfather. I'm also going to bless all your future generations. If you go to the north, south, east, west, wherever you go, the land that you're standing on, that's yours. I'm going to protect you. God says, I am with you. I've read the Bible, and there are some things that God has said that is actually pretty scary. I don't feel like this is a particular moment <laughs> where it's a fearful thing. But he's not fearful in the way that we think of being terrified of watching a scary movie and boo, ah, he's not like that. He's afraid because he's in awe. There's a reverent awe that he has of I can't believe that I'm having this encounter with God. He's talking to me. I've heard stories from my grandfather. I've heard stories from my father. But now in this moment, I'm having an encounter with God that I can't deny that God is real, that God is in this place. And where is he having it? In the house of God. He's having it at the gate of heaven. He's not fearful. He's in awe. And he's so excited to visit this awesome place. The second truth that we can pull out of this, how do we make this church exceedingly magnificent? Recognizing the Lord is in this place, but number two is recognizing how awesome is this place. How awesome is this place? He says, there's none other than the house of God, and this is the gates of heaven. Psalms 100, verses 4 and 5, says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. It doesn't say, once you're in his gates, then start being thankful. And into his courts with praise. I'm supposed to be walking into his gates, into his courts, already with thanksgiving and praise on my mouth. To be thankful and bless his name, verse 5, says, for the Lord is good. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, you should hear that the Lord is good. And his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. How awesome is this place that you make it a conscious decision before you walk in the door. When you wake up on Sunday morning that there's thanksgiving and praise on your lips that you're going to the house of God and something exceedingly magnificent is going to happen because I'm there and there's going to be other people there and I'm already preparing my heart to have an encounter with him and I recognize that that place is going to be awesome. Something's going to happen. God's going to speak. Something's going to change. The miracle that I've been waiting on is going to happen today when I walk in to that service. How awesome is this place? The United States has over 163 embassies and 93 cons consulates, consulates spread all over the world. Some of the things that the embassies help with, if you're an American citizen, you find yourself in another country, and you're near an embassy, they can help you with an emergency passport in up to 72 hours. They can get you a new passport. They can accept election ballots. If you're in a different country, there's an election going on, you can go there and you can cast your vote. They also will help you in, eva in evacuation in an emergency. 
If you're an American citizen and there's a coup that happens, if there's something that happens, you can go to the embassy and they can help you and they can save you and they can pull you out of that emergency. If you get arrested, they can provide a lawyer, they can provide people. They said that they'll call your family and your friends and say, hey, you know your husband's in France? Well, he got arrested. All right, see you later. Good talk. They'll also help prove that you're a citizen of America. You can go there, and if there's any issue in the country, they can prove your citizenship. They can help you prove your citizenship. The definition of an embassy is a body of persons entrusted with a mission to a sovereign or a government. What you're sitting in today is an embassy of heaven. What you're sitting in today is the house of God. And we are, in this city, a gate to heaven. We, the church, and all the churches throughout the world are embassies of heaven, and we're spread out throughout the world. We are a body of persons entrusted with a mission to our sovereign king and his kingdom. You ask what that mission is. That mission is to share the gospel message of reconciliation to the whole world. And you and me have an opportunity every Sunday these doors are open to bring ourselves to bring our families, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, whoever, to the gates of heaven. Just like Jacob had this encounter and said, the Lord's in this place, this is an awesome place, this is the house of God, and this is the gates of heaven. That we bring people here because we believe that we have the only message that will save somebody's soul, that will change their life. It'll heal them physically, it'll heal them mentally, it'll heal them spiritually, it'll take them from where they are here and bring them all the way to eternity because of the simple gospel message that Christ died for your sins and my sins and the was buried in a tomb, rose again the third day. And that message alone, that mission alone of reconciliation will change someone's life. How awesome is this place? And how quickly can we bring people here? And the last thing that we have, we understand that the Lord is in this place. We understand how awesome this place is. In the last place, as we read verses 18 through 22, that Bethel is this place. Verse 18 says, Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he was sleeping on, and he put it at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Verse 19, And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city had been previously Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Look at verse 22. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. If you read Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they cannot, they cannot make a distinction between as soon as God talks to them, that they immediately open their hand and give back to God. That when you come to this house, it is not just a place that you receive and receive and receive and receive. Yes, you can receive coffee, you can receive the word, you can receive help, you can receive all those things. But there is a calling on each and every one of our lives to give something back to the house of God. And I'm not just talking about finances. There is giftings in you. There are miracle signs and wonders in you. The same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. 
the same mission that the fivefold ministry has been called to do is the same great commission that's on your life. It doesn't just stop because of the pulpit. You're called to raise the dead. You're called to go out there and give and make disciples as well. Bethel is this place. Jacob takes a rock. How uncomfortable is, I mean, of all the things that he could have grabbed in the place that he's in, he said, well, I'm going to take a nap here. Let me grab this rock right here. If I sleep on a bad pillow, I'm regretting it for the next, like, week. And he sleeps on a rock. Even if it's uncomfortable, he turns it into a pillar. In the scriptures, it calls Jesus a stumbling block in the rock of offense. But it also calls him the chief cornerstone to build that pillar on top of. Listen, sometimes you're going to come to church and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and you have the opportunity to get offended about it. He's going to say, you need to change this. You need to stop doing this. Hey, it'd be great if you took care of your spouse and you did this or you said this or you didn't say that. Uh-oh, that's the, that's the one. Not now, Lord, we're busy. You need to love your neighbor. You need to talk to that person at work. I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. That It's very easy for us to see that rock, but also ah, get that crick in your neck. I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound right. But he's also the chief cornerstone. And that if you stand on that rock, if you sleep on that rock, it can become a pillar in your life. It can be the truth. It can be the house of God in your life. Jacob took this encounter as a rock, and he turned it into a pillar. And then it says he poured oil, which we know the oil always represents the Holy Spirit, the Spirit over it. He realized how exceedingly magnificent this experience was at the house of God. And the first thing he did was he says, I've got to make a monument for what God did for me. And then he says, I've got to make, uh, I've got to change the name. Luz in the term then, I think it means almond tree is the name of the town. And he changed it to the name Bethel, which means house of God. And then he made a vow, and then he made a, a, an oath that he was going to give a tenth of whatever happened. Do you see the encounter that he had when he recognized the Lord is in this place, how awesome in his place, how it forever changed his life. And he says, I'm going to make a monument to remember this moment. I am going to make a vow that if God is going to continue to do what he says, then I'm going to do what I'm going to do in my part. Then he changes the name of the area, and then he decides to give whatever happens. Bethel is this place that when you walk in here, you could have one encounter with God that could change it forever. And change your course of life. First Timothy, I'm almost done. I'm finishing up now. And you can come. Sure, why not? I'd love to hear you play. This is one of my closest friends in ministry. I don't know if he sees it that way in our friendship, but <laughs> I love this man very much. This is Jesse. Um, we have been friends for many, many years. And it frustrates me because we're always circling around each other in ministry we haven't been in the same church to actually do ministry together, but we would do great ministry together. I, would <laughs> I told him this was actually an a, a interview that he came here. Um, so we've been, we've been feeding him. We took him to Charleston for the first time on Friday and fed him a bunch of food. And um, His plane got canceled this afternoon. We've been praying that. Uh, so we moved it again. It was Monday. It got moved to Tuesday. Um, so by faith, it'll be, he'll be here next Sunday. I mean, we're just, if two or more come together, come on. 
Um, but this is one of my closest, dearest friends in ministry. I love him to death. He loves our family. He takes care of us. He blesses us. Um, and uh, it's just an honor to always have him and for him to play keys. Uh, he'll, he'll play me happy. He'll, he'll get me preaching. And, uh, and so we've got to play it low so I can land this thing. <laughs> Do your thing. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul is writing to his son in the faith. And he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. And this is the revelation that Paul has received on what the house of God looks like. The house of God, which is the church, this is key, this is huge, the church of the living God. We do not serve a dead God. There are other religions that you can go to the founders of that religion, you can go to their tomb, and you can see their dead body. But what we serve and what we believe is not only did Christ die, but he rose from the dead. Jesus came to give life and more abundantly. We serve and we believe that the house of God is the living God. And look, the pillar, just like what Jacob built, that rock, that chief cornerstone, he built it into a pillar, and Paul still has that revelation years and years later. And the last thing it is is the ground of truth. Everybody out there in the world, you've heard it more than enough. Well, this is my truth. Let me tell you what my truth is. No, 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 I don't care about your truth. Your truth might be your reality right now, but it's not the truth. It says in John that Jesus came and what he brought was grace and truth. And then Jesus had the audacity to stand up in front of people and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. The church is the ground of truth. When you come here, this is your truth. This is your Bible. This is what you believe. And then everything is built up on top of the truth of who Jesus is. We don't take our truth from out there and then try and force it into the Bible here. No, no, no. I take the truth in here and I force it into that world out there. My body might be sick right now, but the truth is I'm healed. I might not be seeing the full revelation and manifestation that I want, but it says that God is on my side. The devil is defeated. One day I'm going to heaven and my name's already written in that book. And it says he's praying for me. He's believing for me. He's standing with me. That's my truth. So everything out there is a lie, and everything in here, in this book, and in the house of God is the ground of truth. At One Cause, the church that now he's the executive pastor at One Cause, he's a phenomenal worship leader, but he's also just a phenomenal leader in loving and taking care of people. So he's the executive pastor there and taking on some of the things that I loosed and let go when I came here. And I was at One Cause for about seven, eight years and became the associate pastor for about the last five or six years. And in the church from the pulpit, uh, Pastor Eric sat here, Pastor Heather sat there, and I sat right where you were sitting, Frankie. For five years, I sat in that same chair, and I sat in that chair because it was right next to Pastor Eric, and he could lean over my ear and usually say some really weird joke, <laughs> great joke telling. Or he'd tell me to do something or fix something, and then I can go do whatever. So for five or six years, I stood in that seat. And I prayed in that seat, and I worshiped in that seat, and I cried in that seat, and I heard the word of God in that seat, 
and I got prophesied in that seat. And I hear God's voice real good in that seat. Jesse was supposed to bring that seat in his backpack, and he didn't. And then every year we go back for their prophetic conference and different things. And I make it a priority, not just because it's on the front row, I could take the seat and move it somewhere else, but that spot for me is an open heaven. That when I stand in that spot and I close my eyes, me and God have conversations. And I remember the words that he told me there. I remember the stories. I remember the the messages, the sermons, the things that he did. That I took that stone that was just sitting in that seat and I made it a pillar. If I I can go, and Jesse can probably do the same, to the Bible school, and we can walk into that thousand-seat auditorium, and I can take you to different seats in that auditorium. And I can say in that back right part of the church, I remember when God called me and spoke to me about ministry. I remember in the back left side, I had a vision about one of my friends, and I called him afterwards and, and prophesied over him. And I remember being with Maddie and worshiping as before we were married. I can take you to these different places that were stones, just these moments, and I turned them into these pillars that changed my life forever. And I'm finishing with this. I'm sorry we're going long, but I think the Lord wants to speak. Hebrews chapter 3, my last scripture. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ as a son... His own house. Look at this. Whose house we are. If, 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 if. That means we play a part in that. If we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. How is this church going to become exceedingly magnificent? How is the American church, how is the world church going to become exceedingly magnificent? The answer is here. Is me and you holding fast to the confidence in the truth of what God says. And rejoicing, even in the worst of times, even in the, ba- in, the, in, the, in, in the times that you feel like giving up, it's your job and your joy to rejoice. Rejoice always of the hope firm to the end. I want to see God move. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm going to see him move when I get to heaven. But I'm going to believe until I get to heaven that he's going to move. He's going to show up. You and I play an extreme part in making this house exceedingly magnificent. Number one, you must know that God is in this place every time we gather. Number two, you must know that the house of God is so awesome because it truly is a gate to heaven for people to encounter his gospel message. And number three, you must know that you're one Bethel encounter away that can change your life forever when you step in the house of God. I say this before, I pray it before, and I'll say it forever. I believe that if Jesus shows up, then anything can happen. Anything exceedingly magnificent can happen if we believe. And you and I play a part in that. The Lord is in this place. Let's stand up today as we get ready to head out. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.